J.T. Crowley is Talking Books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. They'll give you their take on the writing process and how to create the secret sauce of page-turning deliciousness. Let's get into that magical mixture of the art and science of creativity. Here's J.T. Crowley, author of The Smart Kids and your podcast host. Hello, everyone. I'm J.T. Crowley, and today I'm talking to Peter Massam, a British author from Whitney in Oxfordshire in the United Kingdom, about two of his books that make up the Learning Experience Trilogy. These books are Nipper and Moose Conquering Fear. The third and final book, Know Your Mind, Peter and I will cover off in another podcast, probably we've done either later this month on the system or coming on in early April, everybody. So let's invite Peter to join me. Peter, come and join me. Good morning, John. Good morning. Lovely and yes, in the United you. Kingdom, everybody, it is morning here. <laughs> Peter, it's been, um, I've thoroughly enjoyed looking at your books. And yes, there are three in this amazing trilogy. Um, but before we get into the books, Peter, could you tell us a little about yourself and why this trilogy? What was so important to you to talk about the underlying text within these books? Can you tell us a little about yourself and the books? Uh, yes. Um, I spent um, most of, well, I started off life after university, uh, sort of falling into uh, a teaching position and thoroughly enjoyed that for 10 years, uh, including two years abroad. Uh, and then uh, ran out of challenges, if you like. Um, so I looked to move into business and I knew that somebody was telling me to make up my mind because I got offered a, um, a deputy headship at the same time as I got offered a position in business, but at a much lower salary. So that was make your mind up time. <laughs> and uh, I never never looked back, really. Um, one of my soapbox topics has been customer experience. Um, ever since I picked up one of the first mobile phones, tried to use it and said to my colleagues, how on earth do people put up with this? Because <laughs> it was terrible performance. You know, probably two calls survived out of ten. Um and made it my sort of life's work to try and uh, capture that experience and make it better for people. So that was the the general theme of my career. Towards the end of it, um, uh, as we got into more of customer perception and the softer side of things, uh, I realised that the industry really wasn't ready for... Um, getting their arms around that. It would be much easier for a psychologist to have got their arms around it, to understand customer perception and also customer trust. So oh, that's, that's, that's where important. this came out of. That's, that's mm -hmm. where these trilogy came out of. From one side was how do you get inside the mind of your customer? And then the second motivation for that was very much a personal one uh, with my own, what I call my young adults now, because they're no longer children, 
because we all, during my teaching career, I came across a, a sixth form boy who committed suicide uh, with everything in front of him, leaving an mm. entire fencing kit behind, for example. And my both my young adults came across the same thing in their sixth form as well. And my immediate reaction to that was, well, that is such a waste of talent um, that I've got to try and do something to help those people, especially young, uh, among young men who I think a larger percentage uh, choose that route, to try and allay their fears because life is full of fears, full of unknowns, and if you have no tools to cope with them or mm -hmm. you're living in a deprived circumstance, then you probably feel that there's no no resort except the last one. Yeah, and that's about it. Do something about that. We blokes are not very good at expressing ourselves. Exactly, yeah, John. Our entire lives, we're not very good at doing it. We're getting yes. better, and we need yes. to get better. True. Let's let's open the book, shall we, uh, Peter? The mm. first book, Nipper, uh, the mm -hmm. first of the series. Um, there are 12 chapters in this book, everybody. And this book is centred around growing pains through one main character, and that is George, because George is the main protagonist, not just in this book, but throughout the series. Um, so we're not going to read all 12 chapters because we'd be here forever and a day, and that's not the idea. So we're going to give you a flavour of a couple of chapters so you can um, see what's going on in this book. Um, I'd like to go, if we can, Peter, to uh, First Encounter, which is on page 23. And here we have a worried mother about the cost of George's um, new school uniform. And I think we can all remember this. I certainly can, you know, because we knew the school uniform was going to be, well, it's going to have to last a few years. <laughs> and when you first put it on, you're thinking you're walking around like a, you know, uh, well, I, I don't know what, but we've all experienced that. And, you know, I can relate so much to the character George here. Mm. You know, the ill-fitting clothes and, you know, and parents worrying about the costs. This is quite an important character for you, uh, in chapter for you, isn't it? And that's why it's called First Encounter, because this is where we first encounter things. Tell us about it. Well, it's 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 one of those things where I suppose first encounter relates both to um, the first encounter with uh, a girl, a, a girls in particular, mm -hmm. and one, and I suppose the change out of the ordinary. So up until that point, up until age eleven here in the, in the UK. Uh, you're in a quite comfortable situation. Uh, well, you you're not far from your parents' home. You can probably walk to it and do every day to school. But then suddenly you find that you're going on a bus to go somewhere, which is completely unknown. It's inexperienced. And you you don't know what lies ahead. You're full of perhaps optimism, uh, a little uh concern maybe at the same time but when you have to get dressed up for it as well in things as you say that you're swimming around in and you have something around your neck which you didn't have for 10 years of your life so why should you start now 
um, which sort of stops you from speaking or <laughs> breathing even. Um, and to top it all, in those days, you, you had to have a cap as well. Oh, yes. Uh, which seemed completely unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, so there are girls on these buses, aren't there? Yes, well, there were girls at primary school too, of course. Oh, yeah. um, none of those were uh, quite as, shall I say, acidic as the first encounter, um, which puts George backwards in uh, in many ways for many years, and he was very glad that he was going to an all-boys school after that first encounter. Yes, it didn't go well for him, did it? But we're not going to go into that. If you want to know what happened, read the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, another endearing chapter, uh, Peter, was Per Ardua Ad Alta. And I'm thinking, oh, why has he set the title to this chapter? I'm going to ask him. It's a fascinating chapter. You know, we've got, we've got hormones here, everybody. We've got uh, religious education. And I think most of us back in those days can remember what the biology lessons were about when it came to basic reproduction. It was basic. (laughs) (laughs) So you've got a lot buzzing around in this chapter. (laughs) Spill the beans here. Yes. Um, Well, just just on the biology side of it, uh, you say it was basic. Um, Oh, it was. I think think probably the majority, there were probably only two or three that came out of one, one lesson thinking that they'd heard anything different to what they'd heard before. So I think it it very much remained um, a mystery, shall we say? Oh yes, uh, about reproduction uh, generally. Um, but the, the the reason why it's uh, called that the Peradura ad alta is because that was the school motto, and ah. it was a variation which through hardship to the heights, and it's a variation on the RAF motto who replaced the Alta with Astra, because they go through hardship to the stars, Ah. um, which was very much uh, in my father's mind, because he was indeed a a, a part of the RAF. Um, So it sort of resonated uh, with me personally, that that the school was, if you like, meant to be, Um, even more so because uh, it was the confidence and trust of, my, of the headmistress I had who uh, ignored the result of the 11 plus and to get you into that school and recommended that I should go uh, only because I'd missed the first two years of my primary school through uh, illness, uh, successive illnesses. So, I remember the 11 plus. <laughs> it's, it's one of those cases of a, an opportunity and you you knew that things were going to be okay um you know when i fat, sat down for for the first spelling test for example um and i was the only one out of 31 children who got accommodation right and that kind of set me off and i thought no this is oh. this is going to be okay yeah <laughs> and that's uh, through the schooling yeah, and of course, you know, if you're a young lad and you go to an all-boys school, um, and yes, then you mix into society, you know, you're going home and that, yes, and you've got the girls' school be down the road back in those days. Mm. It was a bit of a challenge for a young guy. 
And, you know, this is why I can, you know, um, completely see where this book is coming from. Well, it, yes, and it, it, it also sort of harks on a little bit about the, that it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Having, having been a teacher and seen boys develop, we all develop at different speeds. And myself, I was a late developer, definitely. Me too. And, and you shouldn't, you know, the, the message there is it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter because your time will come. And it doesn't matter whether it comes at the end of the the school days. And for me, as I explained in the book, it, it came a bit too late. But then you just push on from that into the rest of your career. And for me, it was sport. And it, it really, it can take off at any time. And you should be ready for it when it does, because you'll enjoy it so much more. Absolutely. Um Let's take the listeners, Peter, to Second Encounter, which was on page 33, everybody, in the book. Here we find George in the sixth form. And, you know, he's moved on from the, the rigid uniform. He's now wearing casual clothes, and I can remember that. And it's been... And for George, this is a bit of a shock because he's been actually treated here as an adult. And and also, you know, we've got the, the mixed hockey matches. And he's starting to you know see that adult health is is almost on the doorstep and things are changing this is what the second encounter chapter is about isn't it yes it's it's very much finding finding your feet when a new challenge is put in front of you mm. that you'd never encountered before and as you rightly say being at an all boys school uh, actually, act communication with the, the girls' school was uh, rife among some boys, but for the majority of us, we were just happy to enjoy the lunches that we had at, home, at the school rather than going up the hill at lunchtime and and making uh, and having different company. So yes, when when you are noticed, I suppose, by the opposite sex for the first time that is quite disconcerting mm. because you know how to react to uh, a, a friend who is a male friend if they're joking around with you. But when it comes to more serious uh, feelings, then you are unprepared. Oh, definitely. Um, and, and I think uh, lads go through that. And so I think, you know, the reason why we're talking about certain chapters in the book, everybody, is because these are pinnacle chapters. Certainly when I read the book, I I highlighted these because I thought they were pinnacle. Um, now, the third encounter is another chapter, and this is on page 55, everybody. And for me, this was quite a, a stimulating chapter. We've got the church choir, bell ringing, and then we've got a young lady here called Joan, and we're getting more adult conversations, you know, and uh, we're on the threshold of maybe working in life or university. And of course, when you move out, uh, Peter, from, um, you know, secondary school or higher grade school into working in life or university, you're not the senior person anymore. You're the junior rank. You're at the bottom and you're only just starting life. And there are many things to fear and 
get on with, isn't there? Yes, you're absolutely right, John. And this is what um, this chapter's about. It's starting yeah. now. Yes, the uh, I, I suppose as you're as you're evolving, um, you're looking for common ground with other people, and there are definitely in your life there are definitely people who are too far removed from where you are, your situation, because either in age or in experience or, or, or something else, um, or they're too young and you or younger than you and they have a, a younger uh, outlook because they're not in the same situation. So you're always looking for that, uh, I suppose, that person to talk with. Some would call it a kindred spirit, but I think that's probably going too far. It's just somebody to that empathises with you uh, enough to understand what you're going through and you can talk openly with them. And that's what happens with George and Joan is, yeah. you know, Joan is that bit a little bit older than uh, George, but she nonetheless understands his uh, not predicament because he's not in a predicament, but his situation because the insecurities and college, the insecurities. That's correct. Mm. Um, and she is, but she is that much closer to understanding that situation because she would have been a teacher of um, at a sixth form college, so she would encounter these changes that go on every single day. So therefore. Joan was the ideal person to talk that through with and become closer to as a result. Mm. When we move on now to, let's go to the second book. Um, you know, this is Moose Conquering Fear. Um, of course, for this book, this is, you know, we're moving on now from George's growing pains and the obstacles to forming first relationships to record moments of fear and exhilaration by the same person, George. Um, so during his student days here, uh, working abroad, but here, you're moving us along here, aren't you, with this character, George, to get out more about what happens to young men now in life generally, aren't you? This is what this book is about. Yes, and it, it it doesn't um, it doesn't pause or ponder over things for too long. Um, that was deliberate. Uh, if we if I just tangentially mention that the the books, uh, I was very conscious of making them briefer than a novel, because I wanted young people to feel and others to be, feel that they could pick the books up and read them maybe on a couple of train journeys home or to school or to where, wherever. Um, so they had to be uh, engaging and not uh, pause too long over, yeah. the, over the particular reasons why. And, you know, it, it was not meant to be an analysis. It was meant to be um, <clears throat> this, is, this can happen to you too. And if it does, then, you know, this is how one person dealt with it. Um, and that was the um, the purpose, as you rightly say, of going, going from one situation to another uh, and coping 
I was fascinated in this book piece by um, you've got a, a chapter here, and you headed it up going the extra two hundred and fifty miles. Um, you know, you started off with subsequently at university and what that particular fear cast aside. This, you know, this new expedition, <coughs> all things watery extended to be part of a Coxless Four. You are moving George along here, aren't you? <coughs> Uh, yes, he's um, moving away from home is always uh, traumatic, usually more for the parents than the children. Uh, there are lots to keep you at home, but at the same time, your desire for independence and to make your own decisions and your own way in life is gets stronger and stronger. Mm. Uh, so... It was it was actually a, a, a remark by George's mother, which sent uh, sent him into uh, paroxysm of laughter because uh, when the university offer came through, or one of two, I think uh, the the response from a parent is is usually. Why can't you go down the one down the road? It's so much closer, um, and you can't really reveal the real reasons why you want to leave that community, uh, which had been so nurturing, and everybody had known each other in the village. Uh, so it was a, a break, but it was a necessary break from that that sort of security, um, and going that extra distance meant that there was never going to be any interruption to it or sneaking back home just to uh, have your washing done or whatever. Yes. I, we can all relate to that. <laughs> um, hmm, I thought uh, another day that uh, this chapter was, you know, here we find George in France, work placements, meeting an old friend, Tom, <laughs> a short tempered, um, <laughs> Mayor, <laughs> I liked this chapter very much. Why did you put it in? What's, you know, what's well, the, the significance of this little ditty here? Well, the, um, it's a, again, it's moving into a different situation because even at university, you're still cosseted to a, up to a Certain point. Degree, yeah. You, you still, you know, you you are given meals. Uh, you can enjoy yourself still. And the the pranks that I outline in the book uh, are meant to promote that. Uh, oh, yes. And if you want to know what the pranks are, everybody, read the book. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but you can enjoy yourself. But then um, in the middle of it, in the, in the middle of a language degree, you're asked to go and find your own position in a, um, in a foreign country where you have no contacts except the very slim uh, outline of a, 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 a twinning operation with the nearby town. And the, the idea that was planted in your mind that uh, the mayor of that town was important um, always. And, and with those two pieces of information, that's all you have to find yourself in that new situation. Having gone through all that and tried to prepare for it, 
<clears throat> excuse me, um, you, uh, you can find that sometimes life throws everything at you and in the same day. And I don't think it's, it's, it's you know, one of the, it's, it's no secret to reveal that um, on a particular day, it felt like that the return journey was going to be made the following day and that the whole project would have had to have been abandoned um, because of what happened during that day. And <clears throat> what come, came through for George was the kindness of the people that he encountered at the end of that day, uh, which reinforced that idea that we often hear, oh, just wait 24 hours, just wait, wait for a day and see what happens. Um, because when everything does seem to be working against you, I wanted to get the message across that that actually is true. You can turn things around and where things can look very bleak in one 24-hour period, they can be the reverse, the, the optimal reverse uh, at the end of the second 24 hours. I, one of my friends, um, her daughter did a French degree and she told her mother that um, for her year out, she's going to Canada, Quebec, mm -hmm. to do her year out. And her mother said, why can't you just go to France across the channel here? It's a lot easier for me to visit back and forth. And she replied and said, Everybody, the reason why I picked Canada, mother, was so as you can't do that. I want to go away for a year. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and that resonates with, again, you know, with some of the stories of George, you know. And mm. so I just thought I'd throw that in. Yes, wonderful. Um, return to abnormality. Hmm. <clears throat> and this is towards the end of the book, everybody. <clears throat> and this chapter resonated with me very much for I've worked in sales for many years. And, yes, you get many no's in life. But... I've always experienced, you know, well, the next no is the next step to getting a yes. And you now George and Mel by themselves, because we've got a lady friend here, everybody, in a financial pickle. Why did you give George the role of, you know, this door-to-door -door, um, insurance man? You know, he's teaching, he's struggling. Open up here. Well, this I wanted to uh, capture instead of a, a, a low point across 24 hours, as we just talked about, a low point which was much longer in length. And I think one that new parents in particular and new couples uh, find very um, irksome in their early life when they're uh, full of hope. Um, after their marriage, probably, and are looking for their first house. Um, if you find yourself in an area, as George did, with not, with very expensive properties all around and being a teacher, only being paid a teacher's salary, that was just not on the cards. So money was tight, as it had been for George's parents, as re recorded in Nipper. 
And therefore, you have to find a way around things and you look at all avenues to try and ease that burden. Uh, and the insurance selling was uh, one such avenue because it could take place outside of uh, normal working hours um, and was proposed by a friend who was in that, uh, in that line of work as a possible solution. But as it turned out, it didn't actually work out for him. And sometimes things don't. And this isn't because he was necessarily a bad salesman because he did manage to sell insurance to, to some, but it was the practicality of extending the area of sales, which he couldn't uh, bear the cost of all the time because that meant traveling further away from where he was living at the time. So yeah. it's really, again, how you, how you try and cope with those challenges and in a practical way, because I, personally I am, uh, I always look at the practical side and sometimes that's a, that's a failing, but um, I, I like to think that this book will be useful to people to, to give them the, the tools to be able to work through that situation and not be afraid to reach out to those who they may not see very often, but are still, um, are still friends or acquaintances that can help you cope and get out of that situation. Yeah, and for me, it was the underlying message that um, it may not work out today, tomorrow, but keep going. Yes. Keep going. That's the underlying message. And that's why I uh, thought that this chapter was very, very significant and I wanted to talk about it. Okay. Let's go on to um, Out of the Blue. Now, I can't help uh, but to think here, Peter, that the news he receives was... Was it much of a relief for him or was it a sadness? Was it mixed feelings? Um, you know, I think I'm right here. I think, you know, what happened, you know, around his mother, I think it was a bit of both. I think he was relieved and saddened. Am I right? Yes. Yes. Uh, grief and relief. I think uh, I mentioned on the, on the page and it's, um, the reason for the relief is more, uh, well, it's twofold, really. One is um, that the life that his mother had led was very, um, it was, there were, there were no sort of, uh, the, the progression of, of illness, if you like, or the treatment of illness uh, was... Sapping, I suppose, in the constant um, medications that were firstly increased unnecessarily and then reduced by somebody who knew what they were doing. And she, she often would describe her life as probably being like a guinea pig. Because in those days, there was a lot of experimentation with drugs um uh and that put a, a an added pressure on on the whole family not just george um so yes there was a relief 
that that she'd been left uh, that she'd she could leave all that behind and therefore not suffer anymore um but and of course yes extremely saddened um but the other relief uh, which is perhaps harder to to grasp is the um that overarching um view or not view but the overarching influence in a boy's life is usually his mother yes and for a daughter it will be her father for yes. most in most cases and some will be closer to one than the other and it, it may be the reverse it it depends on the family but um that influence works in in an adverse way in some ways because the the george is is under pressure from his deteriorated marital relationship hmm. to put up with a great deal of pain inside and the shame if you like that he would feel in admitting that is is very overt before his his mother passes on and once yeah, the mother it's, has it's, passed it's, away that's the relief mm. is that you can now be yourself and actually take control of the direction of your life and not think oh well what will so what will my mother think of this if i do that what will my father I think, think i think this was a crossroads for george it is very much you're absolutely right yes. but also everybody there's a crossroads to the next book which we're not going to talk about in this podcast but i am going to ask peter very very briefly tell us what know your mind what's coming down the line and know your mind Okay. <laughs> uh, so Know Your Mind is the culmination of the trilogy in that the the previous two books have looked at uh, both the joy and the sadness and the emotional situations you can find yourself in and what your how your mind is processing the real world because you have to deal with things in the real world. But what Know Your Mind does is take more experiences later on in life that persuade George that the mind is actually a much more powerful thing than we think it is or than we give it credit for. It's not necessarily... Um, in fashion, in vogue, uh, to, uh, to, to bring out the more metaphysical side of uh, our living, of our lives, um, because we've all become, in society, we've become very scientific uh, to get at the facts. Um, but I wanted this book to be more of a philosophical outlook to work with that scientific community uh, to prove or disprove the experiences that George went on to tell. And I made the, second, the third book, um, I made him tell it in his own words because 
I think it's easier to understand what he experiences later on uh, when written in the first person. Yeah. So you you get inside his head, literally. It's a fascinating book, everybody, but we'll cover that off in the next podcast. But I just wanted to give you a little brief insight as to what's coming down the line. Peter, who do you see as your market for your books? Or more importantly, who would you like to see reading your books? Men, boys, girls, women, who? Who Well, I'd like... uh, I would certainly like um, young adults, young boys, teenagers to read Nipper um, because that will prepare them uh, for what may come down the line. Um, It should not be... It's not directed at uh, boys alone because I think just as we boys have had to become aware much more aware of how girls and ladies think and do and the reasons and understand it and explore our more feminine side if you like i think the same you know we've my, my feeling and it may be a little controversial to say this but my feeling is that that concentration on the female psyche uh, over the last couple of decades has been absolutely spot on and right but my concern with the suicide rate on on the boys side i felt there needed to be a rebalancing uh, a, a, to, to propose the other side of the coin and say it's you know it, it we necessarily focus on the abuse that happens with young girls in in their growing up years and we should not forget that that young boys suffer the same and have suffered the same indeed absolutely so it's really a rebalancing but also i wanted um parents to read it because to understand what their children are going through perhaps um and also to help parents because they're always, you know, if, if you're lucky enough, they're always there for you in your formative years. I think it's very important these days is, you know, a parents understanding or trying to understand what are their kids watching or listening to on the internet? Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, they're so much more mm. than we ever were. And it's, it's understanding what yeah. impacts those can have. Um, I should also like to... Think, and I've started here locally by supplying my local library with free copies, is to know that it's accessible to everyone who wants to read it, not just those who buy it. So I'm, I'm, I'm not here so that people buy the book. I'm not, really. I, I would rather have all the libraries, and they are... It's on Gardner's list now, and the wholesalers uh, who the libraries rely on, and, and there are two other entities as well who... Who have access to it, so I'm I'm working the libraries quite hard at the moment to to get them in, into their hands, so that you know people who cannot afford to buy a book, uh, it's a luxury, can still have access to it. That's fantastic. And and if you want to buy the book, Amazon, because we'll put the Amazon links below, everybody, so you can have a look. Um. 
Peter Massam, thank you very much for coming and joining me today on the Talking Book Show. It's I've loved your books. It's, I can when I looked at the character George and what went on in his life, and I think a lot of us, um, you know, will start to see ourselves within that character, and that's why I loved the book. But the third one, everyone, wait for the next podcast. So, I'm Jody Crowley. Thanks for listening, watching, wherever you're in the world. Stay safe. Until next time. <laughs>